Welcome to RGM. Are you in a band? Come and join us. Simply click on the RGM submission page, submit your music, and we'll sort the rest. Be a part of it with Scott's Menswear, the go-to destination for sports fashion. With a reputation spanning over 30 years, Scott's has a mega brand catalogue featuring Adidas Originals, Nike, Fred Perry, Pretty Green, and many more. Here at RGM, we love the support that they offer us and the music-loving community around us. Check them out at scottsmenswear.com. Now then, I'm back, refreshed. Nice little breakaway in France. Ah, need that was well needed. Ah, yeah, I got back a few days ago. A week away in the sun, chilled out, bit of Normandy, loads of bread, loads of cheese, loads of nice walks about. Ah, cleared the old mind. Uh, I needed it after drum lines, to be honest with you. Oh... Uh, you probably told my voice on the last couple of episodes that I was lagging a bit, but, but I am back. Uh, you're stuck with me, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not going anywhere. And today we have a great episode lined up for you on this RGM Experience podcast. Welcome again for another music week with me, Carl Maloney from the RGM podcast. How are you doing? You're on eight. Yeah, today we've got the Howlers ladies and gentlemen. Adam, and specifically the singer, uh, joins us for uh, an amazing chat. Uh, really enjoyed speaking to Adam and, you know, learning more about the band. Because uh, we mentioned it in the interview, there's not a lot of, like, stuff about them personally online. Um, but it's great to, like, delve into these characters and uh, it, that's all coming up soon. I'm not going to say any more. don't want to spoil anything. So yeah, stay tuned for Adam Young from The Howlers coming up. And ladies and gentlemen, thank you as well. Over the last two weeks, we've had a massive spike in listeners. Uh, so if you enjoyed last week's show with the Lottery Winners and Shed 7, a special double episode from, from Tramlines. Uh, and before that, the week that we did the press conference with John McClaw uh, down at Tramlines too. Thanks for tuning in, guys. I really appreciate it. And if you're new to the podcast, welcome. Hang around, get comfortable, grab a brew. Um, yeah, welcome to the podcast. If you're new, and if you're those people that have been listening here a long time, we very much appreciate you hanging around too. Thank you, guys. That's what it's all about. Another week of new music. But first, before we go into the interview with Adam, uh, we'd like to give you an update on what's going on in RGM. I've not really done it over the last couple of weeks because um, it's just been hectic. And I've been away. Um, but you, you will see coming up this week, ladies and gentlemen, we do, we do like to cover a lot of comedy on our gym as well. I feel like it's a, it's a good crossover with music and comedy. I think it's, you know, it's, it, it, it kind of works. Um, and the, 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 the listening figures to the comedians that we have on the podcast as well is really strong. Um, so we are going to be covering Edinburgh Fringe Festival. UK Sound Advice are covering it on our behalf for us. And you will see loads of new co- comedy content coming up on the podcast uh, no not on the podcast on rgm.press the magazine uh, I'm still getting back into the swing of it yeah you will have seen uh, you know all the festivals are covered Blue Dot 
Why Not Festival, obviously Charm Lines. Um, we didn't have anybody at Kendall Call in this year, annoyingly. Um, we just couldn't get enough people, you know, to cover everything. But the plan is to grow the, the live review content and our new live content manager, Saf Rose, is all over it. Uh, so next year, the, the aim is to cover every festival possible next year, even Glastonbury. It's a target. It's something to aim to. And we're on it. So yeah, thanks for everybody for uh, tuning in. It's very much appreciated. Uh, loads of exciting stuff coming up on RGM. Just got the new Battery Farm uh, single review out on the magazine. Loads of new interviews as well on RGM. Uh, loads of things to uh, to pass on the time as you travel into work or if you, uh, I don't know, you're just on a walk or something. I don't know. You're in the supermarket. Uh, dodging buying Lurpak because it's about eight quid. Whatever it may be, guys. Whatever it may be. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for getting involved with RGM. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think I've said everything I need there. Uh, so, yeah, the, the podcast continues. You can follow all the latest updates and get all the latest news on the podcast from our Twitter feed, which is at RGM Pod. All the videos and all the video versions of these podcasts are on our YouTube RGM TV channel. Yeah, so are you ready for a guest? Oh, it's great to be back. Ladies and gentlemen, Adam Young from The Howlers. Let's do it. How are you doing, mate? I'm good. I'm good. I'm surviving the heat. Yeah, you made it through. You made it through then. The yeah, like I'm not I'm not actually at my flat at the moment, but yeah. um our uh, our flat where we live is actually quite cool, so yeah. it's not been too bad. When everyone's been sweating and sweltering outside, we've been quite um yeah, good temperature inside. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. So we made it through the apocalypse. We're on the other side. It's raining again here in Manchester today. Um and what better weather to be heading towards tram lines for me this weekend. And I know you've got a few things on with the band this weekend too. Um but I, I, I kind of wanted to start because when I've been checking on the band socials and that kind of stuff, I, I, I can't find much information about you guys personally. Um, mm-hmm. And I see that as a bit of a benefit, really. I'd, I'd like to get to know you and you can talk about the lads or whatever you'd like to discuss with them shortly uh, as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, so talk me through, how did you grow up as a young lad before you got into music and that kind of stuff? Tell us a little bit of history about you. Well, as like, as, a boy, so to speak. I'm still a young lad now, really. Yeah, but um, we kind of like, I, did, I wasn't really into music that much. Mm. Um, it was always there, but I was kind of like pushed into sport and I played sport at quite high levels. And um, I come from quite a sporty family. So mm. it was it was kind of like all the way through like my teens and things like that. Like I really didn't pay attention to music over there. The obligatory downloading illegal stuff after school, you know what I mean? Yes. Um, so, and you know, where I grew up, Portsmouth, which is where I live now, mm. it's a real working class city. Like a lot of my friends from the north who here have kind of gone like, fuck, this is a shithole. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, it, it, it's a rough place to grow up and it's a tough place to sort of carve your, ide- your own identity out in. Um, it's changed a lot now. It's like, you know, it's, there's a lot going for it now, but. In terms of like the city that we that I grew up in, yeah, it was hard place feeling that. 
yeah, so skinny jeans and Chelsea boots and sure. Um, so, so hard in hard in what like, way? Yeah, it was a rough. It was a rough start, really. Hard in what way? Uh, the people reminded. Um, everyone's so working class, but there's mm. it's like almost to our detriment. There's a saying in Portsmouth called Portsmouth born and bred, strong and armed, thick and head. Um, and it, it, you know, it resonates quite true with the city. Like, you know, if I walk down the street now, I'll get heckled for having long hair for no reason. Yeah. And you're just kind of like, what, how is that like affecting your day, mate? Um, yeah. so to all my friends around here and everyone that I grew up with, when we were carving our identities, you know, getting our scooters and becoming a bit of a mod and, and things like that, going to the soul clubs and, and stuff, instead of going to the nightclub strips, it was tough. It was tough. Like when we were like 16, 17, 18, um, but we're much better for it now because everyone's so much more interesting than, say, you know, I'm sure my brother won't mind me saying that his group of friends, which are very much, you know, carbon copies of each other. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but like I wouldn't I wouldn't have had it any other way. Like, growing up around here kind of helped me become a little bit more thick skinned. And so when I eventually wanted to go into music and got pushed into music that way, um, it kind of helped a little bit to to sort of push through some of the flack that you can get quite early on. So do you think it's helped your resilience in life then? Just like, because you, you if, if, you, if you're heading, heading off into the big old music industry, the hardest industry in the world, you kind of need a bit of resilience to... Um, yeah, to... Like, definitely, like, you know, at first, it was kind of, like, you go into the music industry, everyone does, like, bushy-eyed and yeah. all that, and bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, whatever it is, and, and then you very quickly get shot down because you think the world's your oyster and it, it, it just isn't. Um, so it's definitely helped us kind of like help me kind of, you know, pass on that experience to the boys as well and, and kind of say to them, you know, this is not very dissimilar to how I grew up. If, you know, you keep pushing through, then it'll be all right in the end. Um, but that being said around here, like for music as well, the scene sort of died when I was about 16, 17, all the up and coming bands around here kind of just called it a day or, people didn't want to really go for it. Um, it was kind of a weird, weird time. There was, there was a few bands around here that were kind of like making waves, you know, labels were starting to pay interest, like radio was paying interest to them. And then they just sort of went, that's, that's it. Um, so yeah, it's, 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 it's yeah, I, I don't know. Like I kind of, I've got a bit of a thick skin about it now. It's when in our industry, I'm kind of like, if we, not that we ever really get isolated because we don't really, but like, yeah. which is, you know, quite nice. But if we ever did, or like someone's written something before that, I'm kind of like, hmm, that's not very really nice or whatever. Like, I'm kind of like, let's brush it off. It's water ducks back now. Yeah. So growing up in Portsmouth, are you all from the same, like, part of Portsmouth? Or? No, no, no. So um, we all met in London um, mm. for uni. So I actually lived in Manchester okay. as well for a bit. Um, so I left home at, like, 17. Um lived out for a bit, like worked, ended up moving to Manchester, then moving to London, going to uni in London and sort of, um, I met Gus, we were on the same course and we sort of fannied around, like trying to. <laughs> oh. um, like hung around with a few drummers and then he eventually met Tom and, and touched back in with Tom this year and kind of got going again. Um, because we had to get a new drummer this year, so um, it kind of went full circle, really. Yeah, uh, the the line dropped a little bit there when you said fannying about." I love that. I love that saying. <laughs> what, what did you say straight after that? 
Um, yeah, like just me and Gus, like we kind of, we yeah. kind of like, yeah, we were, we just met in London and we were just, as I said, fannying about and <laughs> um, we we tried out a few drummers and, you know, we've been through, I think, two now and, and originally like our drummer now, Tom, we touched base with him because we were friends around London when we wanted to start a band um, and he was really busy at the time, but you know, as luck would have it, when we needed a new drummer this year, because, you know, life gets in the way of, you yeah. know, things. Um, Tom was out of a band at the time, so we kind of just touched base and hit the ground running. And um, I think, like, we went out for a quick quick half in the Hawley Arms in, like, late February and then had a show in Manchester on, like, March 5th. So I think we did, like, two weeks worth of rehearsals and went out nice. and did, like, a 10-song set. So it was, um, it's been, like, a really quick learning curve for him, but... It's been really enjoyable because I think the band's a lot better off now since yeah. having him in, involved. So, how did you first start understanding that you know you, you can sing and you you can play in, an instrument? How did like music like grab you, or how did you get involved mm-hmm. in at first? Well, I did I did that stereotypical thing that most kids do, like in this room, because this was my my childhood room at my parents' house. Mm. Um, you know, stand in front of the mirror and just you know think you're a rock star listening to music. You know what I mean? As a kid. Mm. Um, and that was kind of like my little secret because like, like, I was a sporty kid so I'd come home and do that and um, I kind of as I said my my like ex- exploration into music was quite late I, one day I can't remember what song I was singing along to but mm. me mum kind of said like oh like you can actually sing um, and I kind of like, paid no mind to it and it wasn't until you know I, I had I taught myself guitar because I'm you know, I'm autistic and things like that, so I'm really unteachable. Mm. Um, that I kind of found the knack for it and found the enjoyment and found what I was supposed to be doing. Because, you know, as much as I enjoyed sport, I kind of didn't really enjoy it, if that makes sense. Like, I had fun doing it, but, like, it wasn't me. Um, and as soon as I picked up a guitar and started, you know, attempting to do things and and play songs that I that I loved, I kind of, it something just clicked to me, really. Um so yeah, that was kind of where I got started. But ultimately, it was like being at college and going, yeah, like you know, look at all these bands coming out of the music department, and then look at all like the girls they're getting around them. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I want a piece of that. <laughs> nice. So you, you mentioned there where um, it came from, really. <laughs> so you, you mentioned autism there. Um, just talk us through how that's uh, oh. helped or hindered you throughout your throughout your career. Has it has it has it been a thing you've had to fight, or has it been something that you've just it's part of you and you, you know you understand it more than more than what I do um yeah like so through most of my life it was a hindrance really mm. because I was undiagnosed until I was at uni mm. so all the way through my life I kind of had this shadow over me where I was you know struggling to understand things and mm. you know I, like I'm very very slightly on the spectrum it is a broad spectrum I'm very yeah. slightly on it like so um it was more like you know in social situations I was kind of like uncomfortable sometimes with things even if it was a perfectly normal situation but I didn't really understand it and at school my learning was you know I so I have quite a high IQ at the same time as being on the autism spectrum so it kind of hides it so through like you know primary school and things like that secondary school I was able to sort of mask it and kind of being like the top sets and things it was until I got to like higher learning 
it became prominent that I was, I was really struggling and I, I really couldn't keep up at that point. Um, and it took a long time for me to understand that my way of learning was not sitting down and doing exams and things like that. So when I got diagnosed at uni, it all kind of clicked. And so when it comes to music and social situations now, I kind of view it as a superpower because yeah. it's something that I can use and harness and understand. And the people around me, both the team and the band, they understand it as well. Um, but it's also like kind of like when we're performing, I, you know, I, I get over like so nervous, like so, so nervous. I have to do this like, little pre-gig ritual where I kind of like bang my chest like King Kong to get the adrenaline going. Yeah. And I've, you know, I walk out on stage and my legs are like jelly um, until I hit that first note. And that's like kind of like my trigger for being yeah. um, that character that I am on stage, you know, that front man. That's kind of like my, how I disconnect it from myself. At the end of the day, I'm performing. So I've got to put in a performance, but until I play that first note, um, yeah, I've, I'm, I've got sea legs, man. Yeah, man. How did you get diagnosed then? I was sat in a uni class one day and um, my uni lecturer just turned around to me and just went, are you autistic? And I went, no. And he kind of went, well, I think you are. Oh. Um, and I was like, oh, shit. Um, and I was kind of like this thing. So he put me in for a test um, for a uni and yeah, like I sat down, did all these tests and things like that, like, you know, your cognitive ability and things. And um, yeah, they were like, yeah, you're slightly autistic. I can't believe it's gone undiagnosed for all these years. Um, because I've been diagnosed like during my exam period at college with like dyslexia. Like before my last exam, they went, oh, you're dyslexic, by the way. I was like, brilliant. And that helped me out, didn't it? <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, you know, I think like there was always inklings there. I had friends over the years who were like a little bit older than me yeah. and they were kind of like, they worked with kids who had, you know, learning difficulties and things like that as well. So there was periods over my life where unbeknownst to me, they were like testing me. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I like, finally said, oh yeah, no, I'm actually autistic. They were like, yeah, we knew you years ago. Um, and they were like, we watched, yeah, you'd cut up a carrot for dinner. And we knew you were autistic. You know what I mean? So, um, how, did you cut yeah, a carrot? Like, how did you cut a carrot up? I, I feel like a carrot normally, man, but apparently it was just really, really symmetrical and like really methodical and logical. Right, okay. Um, and they kind of, they kind of looked at how my brain works in a very logical way. And like, mm. it's not so much clean cut. It's more like I can see the path to something. You know what I mean? Like mm. even like the boys know when we're packing the van for the tour, uh-huh. like I, there is a process and they will literally just dump everything at my feet and I will pack the van. Uh-huh um like tetris you know and if we're trying to struggle to get yeah yeah like you know what i mean like tetris was amazing game so that's probably where it comes from it's like band tetris, isn't it? yeah um but like yeah like if we're trying to struggle to get everything in a car because the van's broken down or something like that like even if it looks like we can't get it in i'll get everything in um so yeah that's that's how much. i just view it as a superpower now like, i'm really open talking about it and yeah, open talking about it in our music as well yeah so how did it like uh, manifest it man, manifest itself as being in a band is it, is it always been howlers or have you been in bands before or i've been in bands before um we were previously called something else before we called howlers the name oh, was I, so I, awesome. I always like to ask the previous band names mate everybody squirms come on right so i'll give it a bit of story before okay so me, me and me and gus used to live right on the west way in london like yeah. on the motorway um right or like literally right on the banks of it it was so loud but we were like about five minute walk from um Wormwood Scrubs prison yeah. and I used to like work in the local pub 
where you'd have all the prison guards come in and then you'd have like all the cons that had just been released that come in as well so it was a weird atmosphere and like, the st- I always would hear in the area the term being thrown around like oh scrub scrubs you're just a scrub sort of thing and it kind of like stuck like that so we ended up calling ourselves scrubs <laughs> to begin with um and it was awful it was rubbish we changed that within like i'd say i don't know three months um and, change, and then we and moved changed to, it to the howlers um, oh we here we moved go to, yeah um and we moved to uh uh like an area in london called hoxton and there was a, a bar just around the corner from where we were living called the howl of the moon um and it just so happened to be unbeknownst on us at the time like where Art Monkeys filmed that video, um, Why Johnny Call Me When You're High. Oh, okay. Um, and we were in we were in there like discussing band names, like and they do an in-house pint called Howl. And we were kind of like just drinking that. And one of us went to the toilet and came back and was like, there's a massive picture of Alex Turner at that sink in that bathroom above the sink. And we were like, hmm, that's from that video. And then we we kind of like had already decided at that point we were gonna call ourselves after the pub and call ourselves the howlers. Mm. Um it was kind of like a sign like you walked into the bathroom and there's you know the yorkshire legend stood above the sink yeah. like um it was kind of like a bit of a sign really but yeah I, the first name's awful I, I don't even like i don't even like saying our name now probably not much not much better to be honest <laughs> well we, we always document the journey of a band and i've mentioned it on this podcast people will be like he's gonna say it and i am yeah. but the arctic monkeys supported my band the first ever gig that they played in sheffield uh, and mm. I always harp on about the story and and, and uh, one thing I can remember from that gig is that they got everybody out of the room to sound check to make sure that their sound was right for that gig and I still don't see that on a circuit that that level of thought and professionalism uh, before going into the first ever gig I still don't see that around these days um, so it's just I think yeah it, it's a craft isn't it you've got yeah. to learn your craft like for, for us um because of how my brain works, we're usually at sound check early. Mm. So usually we sound check and no one else is in the room anyway. So yeah. um, we kind of, we kind of about how to do things. Yeah. We actually played a gig in Sheffield and um, Where at? We, yeah, when we played this gig, the, Can you remember? the sound man came up to us in Sheffield and kind of went, yeah, you don't know how to play in this room. And it was like... <laughs> what venue what? was it? I might know him. We were kind of like... Uh, you will know him. Like, it was um, Tufty from... Tuft, uh, yeah. Good friends with him. Chair, I uh, ho- yeah. Hopefully seeing him this evening. Um, yeah, he'd he, he come, he come down from the sound bit, walked into the middle of the room and went, yeah, you don't know how to play in this room. And we were just like, no. Like, but we were still like a, um, you know, a young fledgling band. We had a lot yeah. to learn. Um, and even now when we play with bands and like bands support us and they, you know, we get things and they go like, oh man, that sounds so good, et cetera. Like, you know, we watch everyone sound check or we try to. And mm. I just say like, if you did that, that one little thing different, like you'd feel like so much more comfortable on stage. Cause I think most bands get this sort of like sound check fright mm. and they kind of go in and go, oh, get out of the way. And they feel like they're bothering people. Yeah. Um, Cause that's how we felt when we, we first did it. So um yeah, I think, like, what, you know, what they did with, uh, when you played with them, yeah, you don't really see that these days. But I think that's a social thing as well. Like, it, you know, people are t- too scared to say what they want, I think, really. Did, did that advice help from Tufty? Well, um, did it help? 
I think I think in some small way probably like because now we're you know we we understand like the sound dynamics of different venues mm. um and trust in the sound man a lot is what we do so we kind of like we don't really take us a, a crew on tour with us mm. um or a soundy because there's no better person than the in-house to know their venue that makes sense yeah um so yeah i guess in some way like now like we've played some big venues we you know we're playing a couple of main stages of festivals and and we've also played some small venues and sometimes the smaller ones are, are more enjoyable but the sound is harder to get right yeah. so um especially when you've got like a back line like we've got where you know i've got a stack of amps and gus has got a huge <laughs> yeah. bass stack like you've got to be very very um tactical to make it sound good in every space so yeah i guess in some in some way his uh, his comment at the time did actually help yeah. um but at the time when i'm doing sound check i was like shit <laughs> <laughs> what like somebody's like hey, what what's he saying this to me for i'm just playing my guitar or is it just like like i'm, I'm what's I'm, I'm not good enough what 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 did you mean by shit as in like like, what the fuck are we doing wrong? Like, oh, right, thing, okay. like, yeah. Um, and I think, like, at the same time as well, when the guy who's in charge of your sound turns around and says, man, like, you need to turn this the fuck down. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's a bit of a shock to the system, but we were, we were only like a fledgling band then. We were yeah, only starting yeah, out. Yeah. So uh, we had a lot to learn and we learned really quickly because we were only a band about nine months before the pandemic. So mm. we did like something like 52 shows in that time so we learned really quickly yeah. um so how how, that's similar how how did you find you know just you know playing your first few gigs having these experiences you know playing different venues having issues with things you know sounds getting it right how did how did you as a band focus and you know take it to the next level where you are now what what kind of steps did you put in place to um to break through those smaller venues and get more notice on a national level rather than mm, local. like preparation, I guess. Mm. <laughs> like, like we were walking into venues like completely unprepared, like, mm. um, and your live sounds everything. So we were kind of like in our first nine months, I'd say we were notorious for something going wrong on stage, <laughs> something yeah. breaking. Yeah. Like it was just every gig. Um, and it was kind of like, you know, some of the biggest gigs we played, like our drummer at the time, he was going through, he went through like almost every drum skin during our set. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I was snapping strings left, right and centre and didn't have another guitar that was similar or mm. anything like that. So it was really difficult to continue the set. Um, microphones breaking, pedals breaking, things like that. So we learned to build our craft and prepare and kind of like your performance it's kind of your art. So, you know, over through those experiences, how you learn to deal with them. And like, during our last tour, the first three dates, I snapped a string every single night. Um, three songs in. I had to finish the rest of the set with a, with a subpar guitar. Um, and it was different. It was really difficult. And like, it kind of, it kind of knocks your confidence. But in terms of like getting us like nationally recognized and things like that, like, we're still doing that. We're still growing. Like yeah. the whole thing is that we're not afraid to look in the mirror and say, we've got like, we've got a long way to go or like, we're not good enough yet. Let's keep getting better. And that's one of the things that kind of sets us apart from most bands is that we kind of, during the pandemic, we tore up everything that we were as a band. Mm. And 
we started again because we looked in the mirror and went, we're actually shit. Like that's, you know, be better. Um, and the, that, the first EP we did was kind of the, the benchmark for that. And then this next EP we've got coming is kind of the growth from that. And, mm. you know, we're always trying to be better and always trying to grow. And I think that's really important for bands. Like when we see bands that are kind of, they kind of think they're superstars already. Mm. It, it's in some way you're kind of like, you know, fair play, mate. Like that's, yeah. You know, you've got the confidence, that's great. But you have to have the ability to back it up. And that's not too bad now for anyone because yeah. music is subjective or anything like that. But I think to get, when for us getting recognised on a national level, it's always been harder because we don't we're not we can't be pinned into any genre or sound like most or any bands or anything like that. So we've kind of had to graft our own scene and graft our own way. And um yeah, I, I, I've I've lost my train of thought now, but like uh, you're okay, I was just. I would, I would, I would yeah. say that. Now carry on. I, I was just going to ask, how did you fix the problem of breaking your string every time? Did you have to start playing it different, or a different guitar, or string? <laughs> What's that? Yeah, I was like, I was like um, so I've got like spare guitars now. I've got a spare guitar yeah. that I have on stage with me, so we're pretty good now. I'm pretty good if I snap a string. I swap it out pretty quick. Yeah. Um, I'm no Stevie Ray Vaughan, so I'm, I'm pretty sure everyone's seen that video where he snaps a string <laughs> and like he just absolute shreds. I'm no Stevie Ray, so but like yeah, kind of. I was snapping strings left, right, and centre, and then <laughs> a guitarist from a support band lent me a guitar one night, and it was amazing. And I was like, "This guitar is so sick to play." Like, I re- it was really comfortable, and he was kind of like, "Yeah, it's because it's a higher gauge string. You're playing like basically like shoelaces, man." Uh-huh. And I was just like, "All right, yeah, kind of." And ever since I've changed gauge string. I haven't snapped one yet, so that's right. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, um, I haven't snapped one yet. So just little things like that, learning on the way, though, isn't it? You know, it's it's a long journey being in a band, and just yeah, where, where, whatever kind of that, that's why I wanted to ask you the question because I know bands will be watching this, um, mm, and, and, it, and I watch bands all the time that break strings, and they're just like they're just stood in middle of the stage, like fuck it, I don't know what to do. I've got, <laughs> I don't know what to do. I'm just gonna have to carry on. I'm not happy, but. Um, it's, yeah, it's a massive it's, thing kind of aware, you kind of have to be aware of everything around you mm. like I've blown up amps on stage yeah. like and you know you have to deal, you have to deal with that and deal with it quickly mm. you know I've um, there was this one show we did where I remember literally walked on stage you know crowds cheering or whatever and then started the song I went to play my first note and it just went it like, kind of went like and then kind of just died. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck's happened nice. there? And like, it was my guitar lead. <laughs> so like the, the boys kind of had to loop this intro and they looped it for about three minutes. Cause I literally ran off stage, ran backstage and I raided through the support band's gear for another lead. Didn't even ask him because I was yeah. on stage. I just literally raided through, found a lead, whacked it in and then carried on the song. And like my parents were there that night and my mum said to me afterwards, she was like, I was kind of like praying. I was praying for you. Cause it was like this awkward moment where the boys, I, had, I just said, she went on stage, and walked off stage. Um, and there's been like, you know, there's been like things where I've snapped guitar straps on stage and, you know, our managers come on and have to like fix it. And um, yeah, all sorts like pedals breaking. I've had to like quickly repatch pedal, pedal boards and, which I can't do now because my pedal board's ridiculous. It's like mission control. <laughs> but like, it, you know, now, like we, the first gig I ever did with this new pedal board was a live streamed gig for The Great Escape. Yeah. We had like 10 minutes to set up. It was ridiculous. 
And like there's 50 things that can go wrong on this board, not because there's 50 pedals, but because I've got a switcher now that just makes my life easier. So I don't have yeah. to do the old pedal board two step. And um, like I plugged it in and they're going like five minutes, four minutes. And I'm like, nice. what the fuck has gone wrong here? Like yeah. I was just like, it's not working. Um, and we quickly like found the problem and sorted it. But yeah, it, yeah, it's, it's all about learning your craft and every yeah. band's different. And it's kind of like, if you've got a certain sound, make sure that you've got at least two guitars that can replicate that sound. So if, you, right. if something goes wrong with one, you can quickly switch out. Um, you know, I, I've, it, and that's what makes it fun that people, people kind of think like, oh, oh the audience will notice. They yeah. don't. They don't. just think it's like really art pop now, man. Yeah. You know what I mean? They really don't. They really don't. Um, so tell us something about you that, that you think we'll be surprised about. So something that you might not have mentioned before or something about you or maybe some band members as well. If, if, if you're okay, um, if you're comfortable with that. Oh, something about me. I don't, I'm not, I shouldn't say it. So most lads when they get to 18, they're going yeah. to like Magaluf or Zanny or something like that. Um, I didn't do that. I went to Moscow and St. Petersburg, um, which was kind of like, as an 18-year-old, weird, like weird and scary. Um, uh, We were originally supposed to go for like a saving gig, but saving cancelled. So like we were kind of like stranded in Moscow and St. Petersburg, like what the fuck do we do? (laughs) Um, uh, Drink vodka is the answer to that question. Um, But yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I'm, I'm sure there's lots of lots of people could say about me, and they didn't they didn't know about me. Like, I, well, as a musician, like, I don't know scales. So as a guitarist, I don't know mm. scales or anything like that. So um, I play things and I write songs, and I go to the people that we work with and the boys in the band. And they go, "What chords that?" And mm. they're kind of like, "Cause I do it all by ear." Yeah. So um, I know the basics now, obviously, but. When it comes to like, if I've written a riff or something like that, I'm like, yeah, well, how, how, what chords would go under this? Like, luckily Gus does does that kind of for me, and he goes, yeah, you're playing like a B sus fifty nine or some bullshit. Yeah, like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so I'm kind of like a bit a bit obtuse like that. So when I write, I do it all by ear and feeling. Yeah. Um, obviously, Gus is from the Netherlands, so that's something people don't really realise when they meet him because he yeah. sounds northern. <laughs> he sounds like he's from Sheffield or something. Okay. Um, and that's because when he was a kid, he kind of he ran a unofficial Art and Monkeys fan YouTube page, which oh, then we okay. turned into my YouTube page. Yeah. Um, so I had like twenty thousand subscribers. That's we're like, having that. No, we're having that. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, he, he kind of like he, he posted loads of videos like that. Like he was just like edit videos and post them as a kid. And there was videos that I remember I had seen, I had watched that he like sort of stitched together before we even knew each other. Um, but yeah, I get a lot. And Tom depth for Star Sailor every now and again um, mm. when they needed a drummer. So it's kind of like we're a, a weirdly interesting bunch, I guess, and like yeah. weird things. I'm sure there's more I could mention, but offhand, yeah, that's, anything. Great. that's great. I, I love that question because it just opens up loads of loads of stuff, loads of stuff. So what what do you think? <laughs> where, where do you think the howlers are now? within the, the music industry? What kind of stage do you feel you're at now? And, and where's next? We're, we're still merging. Like, we're still merging. Like, we're not we're not under no illusions who we mm. are. Like, we've got a bit of a word-of-mouth fan base. We've never, ever had a 
like DSP support from like Spotify or anything like that. You know what I mean? So we've get we've had like Apple Music support, but in terms of Spotify, they've never popped us in a playlist ever. Um, which is when we talk to people about it, they're like, "What? It doesn't make sense." Because we've had so much on TV and radio and press and things like that, so it, mm-hmm. it doesn't really doesn't really click. So it's kind of stunted our career a little bit. Um, so we're still merging and we still haven't to graft. Um, but it's gone in the right direction. Like mm-hmm. over the past year, like things like social media have changed so much. So in terms of promoting records and promoting, you know, things that we everyone does in the industry, it's a lot harder these days. But we've always built on word of mouth, and we've got you know a little loyal fan base of people dotted around the country that yeah. that buy our records and pay my rent. So you know that's 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 um, that's kind of where we are. But we're under no illusion that we've still got work to do. Yeah. You know. Yeah, but where what's the best thing about being in the Howlers? That it pays my rent. I can actually do it as a job. <laughs> oh, I think yeah. you know what I mean. Like, yeah. it, not so a lot. The of holy grail, make, being able to pay your rent out of music, must be. Yeah, like not a lot of bands can really say that. Yeah. Um, you know, we do really well with TV stuff um, and soundtrack and things. And like, mm. you know, most bands don't really get that. And, I was chatting to our publisher the other day and they were kind of like, we don't understand it, but whatever you're doing, don't stop doing it because you're making <laughs> us money sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so I guess, I guess that's kind of a joy. And it's like, you know, we get we get to travel the country and see people mm. and travel, you know, Europe and see people and meet people that we would never normally meet and have experiences that I'm sure most people wouldn't say are enjoyable. You know what I mean? It's slogging out in a tranny van yeah. um, up and down the motorway is not exactly the most enjoyable experience. But um yeah, when you get there and you, you, you meet your, the local like music buff, you know what I mean? The local yeah. guy that goes to every gig. That's kind of a nice experience. Like one of the first ever gigs we did in Bristol and in Plymouth, like the infamous Big Jeff mm. from that area, yeah. like front and centre. So, and I remember walking into the venue and everyone from that area and our old drummer, he was kind of from that area. He was like, that's Big Jeff. I was like, who the fuck is Big Jeff? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I, like I didn't know who this guy was. Um and this was before he even got like, you know, national fame through, you know, the Idols fan group and stuff like that. So I just remember being in this venue and like the venue staff are taking pictures with him and they're going like, oh, it's like, you know, it's a sign of approval for our venue that Jeff's come to this gig. And I was yeah. like, who, man, who the fuck is this dude of an afro? Like, I don't get it. Um, but yeah, he was such a lovely guy. I and mean, we had like a really good conversation and he was like down the front, head back in the whole gig. Yeah. And I was just like, this guy loves music. But there's one of them everywhere. Um, yeah. You know, like you know, John. You know, John was like that in Manchester. Like you know, you know, sadly he's not here anymore. So um, it, it's always been there's always people like that that we get to meet, and I really enjoy it. Like when we talk to like our partners or girlfriends or whatever like that, and they go, "Oh yeah, you're probably talking to you know girls here and there in every city." You're like, no, it's six music dads with beer bellies. Yeah. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. they're the guys yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> You know that that's. You know, I've, I've seen the boys take pictures of the people we're chatting to. It's like, you know, a bold 65-year-old yeah. wearing our T-shirt. It doesn't quite fit we didn't quite do an extra large at the time. Um, you know, so that's kind of the enjoyable thing. But it's not everyone's cup of tea, yeah. obviously. But, yeah, I love it. Yeah, like, we've got to do it tomorrow. I've got to get up at like five tomorrow to go to drive to a festival to play a couple of sets. So. Yeah, man, um, love, it, love it. And what bands have you seen recently that have made you stop and think, shit they're great like a, a similar kind of level to you guys like you might be playing with uh, at the minute or you played with at a festival who who's around mm. you that's quite intimidating that they're, they're that good and they're just on the way up and you can just see them going massive you know what like 
I love this question because I always have the same answer. Yeah. There's not, when we look at the music now, in my opinion, there's, you know, this is my opinion. And sometimes the boys, there's not a lot of bands out there that we look at and go, fuck, you're really good. Mm. Not because we don't like them as a band, but because we kind of just think mm, you're doing the same thing, that post-punk thing. Like yeah. where's your individuality, your identity. Um, and so when it comes to artists that like we, they're few and far between for us. Like there's a band from London slash Brighton called Fur, which are really good. They're kind of like the growlers. They're like, you know, on their way. There's an artist from London who's actually playing with us in, on our London date in the talk of Phil Madley. Um, and he's really good. He's got a, such a cool, like, blues sound. You've got Katie J from uh, Bristol. She's awesome. I went to a, um, we played a gig in Portsmouth the other week. And um, on the morning of the gig, she was doing an album launch in the local record store. So I just stumbled down there and watched their acoustic set. And it was, it was amazing, like, mind-blowing. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, I always say, when we get asked that question, like, have any bands you recommend or anything like that? Or you're like, I always think if music is so much better and enjoyed, if you discover it yourself, yeah. you're not told, you know what I mean? And you can't, cause you kind of get that, that buzz, but I discover artists all the time. Or the boys show me something like, wow, that, or they're playing something. I go, who's this? Yeah. Like Gus was playing something in the band the other day, uh, an artist from America called Trey Burt. And it's, it was a song called Know Your Demons. And it was just, I was like, wow, this is sick. Um, but yeah, there's always like you know Curtis Harden's another one that I absolutely love. He's been around a while now though. But yeah. Um, but in terms of the emerging circuit, I'm yeah I'm not really that plugged into it because I I kind of don't I kind of think everyone's just kind of following the same mold. There's not really any individuality. So when we pick bands for our tour or our agent picks bands for our tour, I kind of say to them like. I want it to be different. Yeah. You know, I want it to be interesting, like just have a bit of something about them. Like it, it, it yeah. I can't, I can't really put it better than that. That makes okay. me sound like a proper grumpy git. <laughs> no, man. What makes the howlers unique then? That we don't really sound like anyone. Hmm. Like, and we've had that from major labels and we've had that from everybody and we get it from press and radio. They kind of go, hmm don't really know how to put what category to put you in. Like, yeah, that's a good thing. Yeah. Like we're doing our own thing. Um, we kind of put our own stamp on it. There's bands that obviously we were influenced by and, and we've taken little bits of their careers. Like we work quite a lot with Black Honey and um, yeah. I've always loved that band and it's been amazing to sort of work with them on new records and do it really DIY together and, and learn things that way. Um but yeah, I think and I think what makes us kind of unique is that we're actually like quite humble. I like you know that outlawy leather clad image that we have. You know that's that's the iconography. But actually, as people, we're pretty down to earth, like nice guys. Like you know, I'm I'm actually quite a shy dude. <laughs> like I'm autistic, so social situations scare the fuck out of me. But. Uh, yeah, I'm. I, I just. Well, I think we're just nice people. Like we've had, we've generally had people come up to us before and gone like, you know, that was actually really lovely or sweet what you did there. Like, because mm. I'm notorious for giving away merch. Like, if someone just spends five minutes talking to me, yeah. and I get on with them. I'm like, oh, did you buy anything at the merch stand tonight? Like, nah. And I'm just like, yeah, vinyl. And they're like, what? And then like someone else comes over and goes, Adam, you can't do that. You can't do that. Look, like, we got to sell them. And I'm just like, fuck it, it's my record. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. But um, you've made a fan so, yeah, for life we, there, though. Yeah, we do. I do it all the time, and like, we kind of like when 
you know, we do, we get a lot of vinyl orders, um, but we spend a lot of time making sure that we write a little message for everybody inside, like saying yeah. thank you and make it personal and maybe chuck in a few extras or something. Um, we get people all the time that go like, oh, is, you know, is this out of stock? And I kind of go, yeah, but hang on. And I've actually sold people or sent people like my own personal version of my band T-shirt. So I don't own any of my band T-shirts. Yeah. Like, you know, it was a couple of weeks ago, there was someone who came to us and was like, my daughter really loves your band. Like, you know, and I kind of said, she, like, she was like after a T-shirt. And I was like, I don't actually have any left, but I managed to like someone I knew had one. And I was like, are you wearing that T-shirt? Nice. And they were like, no. And I just went, well, I'm having it back then. And I gave him a tenner. Yeah. And then, like, I sent it to this, you know, this woman for her daughter for nothing. And, you know, it's, it's little yeah. things like that that kind of set us apart, I guess. Not financially viable. Yeah. But um, it, 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 we bit like building that relationship. Everyone's part of the family when they're in that room together. And we want people to feel like they can escape the world outside. So, um, yeah, I want people to feel like they can come up to us at gig and go, hey. Yeah. Uh, it's, it, it's Ace. And you've got the new, uh, a single out at the minute, Nothing to Lose. Um, yeah. Talk to us about this tune and what it's all about, and you know, you you, you mentioned earlier about COVID, and you know, you you you, hmm. you kind of um, looked at yourself, thought, you know, we, we can get better. Uh, is this single like the first thing that where you thought, yeah, this is a, on another level from like before COVID? Yeah. So, like, also, we wrote that EP during we wrote the first EP during COVID, hmm. and then um, toured it, and played two songs from it on tour because during that that the interim period from its release to our tour which was probably a, a couple of months um i was pushed into a lot of sessions with by a lot of AR people mm. like testing me out um finding my feet i guess as a songwriter and and um they didn't all work out but through that i kind of not even through A and R in, in any way. Like I just stumbled into a friendship with the guys from Black Honey, and they kind of had a process in place of how I write because they write very similar. Um, and so, just before our tour, I kind of got like a little bit inspired, and I was writing a new song every day, and every day they were getting like better and better. And I was kind of going like, "Shit, where did that song come from?" and I was demoing them over Zoom, like we're doing now mm. with the guys, like with Chris. And, um, you know, he was kind of pushing me to be better and, and, and challenging me to be better. And he'd sit there and go, mm, that chorus just isn't quite cutting it. Like, go away and, and you know, you're 10 minutes, go write a new chorus. Mm. And I can't thank him enough for that because it kind of unlocked this part of my brain where I was like, I can do this. Like, I can actually write a song. And, and so before at all these songs existed, I had like 30, 40 tracks that were just like, shit, what do we pick to put in the the tour and um we played a couple of them we played about eight of the new songs and then we went shit let's record this ep and unfortunately we had a drummer that you know had to leave the band um in december like shortly after our tour it was just like this is bad timing <laughs> yeah. and um so we we kind of went into this year with these this big pile of songs and recorded them and it's kind of like the first taste of what's to come really like we have like an album banked um this ep there's a song on it called uh the title track further down the line um it's possibly the best song i've ever written you know in my opinion yeah um it's the song that when we play it 
gets the loudest cheer and it's not even a loud big aggressive song it's like it's just a tune like it's not it i found my thing as a songwriter as a soul writer as well yeah. and putting more soul into our music and um that's kind of that was kind of brought out of me for getting our sessions as well like there was a guy quite a big guy he spent like three and a half hours four hours with us in rehearsals he wanted to hear everything we'd ever written which is unheard of for an A&R guy, let alone the head of A&R. Yeah. Um, and at the end, he was like, look, I'm going to be honest with you and stuff like this. And we were like, yeah, cool. And he was really complimentary and gave us lots of constructive criticism. Yeah. And he kind of, he turned around to us like, the problem is you look how you sound. If you were all wearing bright pink jumpsuits, I'd sign you right now because it's different. Yeah. But it's borderline, it could be pastiche. How do we work on that not being that way? Mm. Um and that's what we've been doing. And then he kind of turned around and went, you're more of a soul singer to put right like that. You can do it. I know it's in there. Stop trying to push or force this. Um, and that's how these songs came about. And like, so I can't thank all the input we've had enough. We still talk to these people and they, we yeah. things like that. But yeah, from that. And it's, it was a song that to cut the riff didn't exist until I went to demo it. Um, everything else existed. And then it, oh, there was either TV on in the background and there was an advert where um, it was soundtracked by that Lenny Kravitz song, um, Are You Gonna Go My Way? Um, which is a banger, you know what I mean? And I kind of yeah. went, you know what, it'd be cool to do like a Lenny Kravitz style riff. So we kind of like joked about like Lenny Kravitz has now entered the chat and we kind of like just like started doing this riff. Um, and it came from that. So it was, you know, I'm super proud of this song. It, 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 you know, the reaction yesterday was awesome. Nice. So, and because you know, considering we're like an unsigned band, so to speak, like yeah. it's we do everything ourselves. We've got a big team around us. Um, yeah, I couldn't be more happy with it, how the songs turned out. And there's more to come. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, sure. I'm so, buzzing about it. So the nothing to lose is out now. The EP comes out on the 30th of September. I'll put a pre-save link um, yeah. in the description of this podcast for everybody. Produced by Black Honey as well. I know you mentioned them earlier in the um, in there. How how was it working with them? Just lost you there. Uh, you know what? It was awesome. You know, as I said, they challenged us and pushed us to be yeah really good relationship. Like, it was. It was a good experience because we built a friendship and a working relationship in tandem. So um, when we came to record it, like we just spent all our money at the time on buying a van um, and they were like, right, let's go and record it. And I was like, shit, we ain't got any money, man. (laughs) And um, they were helping us with lots of things and they kind of went, well, tell you what, let's do DIY in our rehearsal room. And I was like, "Mm, this could sound really bad. And, And... um, was, no no we'll make it sound sick I was like okay cool so we end up going to their rehearsal room and recording it like you know bringing everything with us like yeah. a computer with like all the inputs and you know the DIs and stuff like that and like we kept crashing the computer because we were running too much stuff through <laughs> it and yeah. um, we recorded it over two days and then they were like we're going to try and mix it before we go on like an eight week mm. but they won't mind me saying we all thought it sounded good, but it didn't. Like <laughs> we were kind of like, oh, this could be a bit better. So they went away for eight weeks, and it was good for like the perspective coming back. That um, they came back and they remixed it, and it, that's what it sounds like now. And it, wow. You know, oh, just lost you there. 
podcast. They come a lot of shows and am I back? Yeah, you're back, mate. Sorry, go on. Um, yeah, like they, they went to Seems so to drop in again. Been, you know, I've got all of them, really. Yeah. Oh, really. sorry, man. It's okay. I'm at my mum's. <laughs> You're at your mum's house, and you mentioned earlier she's got a little bit of, of, of yeah, a shrine to you. Yeah, I'm gonna have to set a shout out and be like, get off the phone or something. Bro. <laughs> it's like, all you know right. I mean? like, okay, so all good. So, the, so the tunes are out there. You know, the 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 EP's coming out, and of course, you've got a tour coming as well. All over the country, Leeds, Glasgow, Edinburgh. I'm just reading through. Gulliver's in Manchester. I love. I put gigs on there, so I'm going to try and get down to the 3rd of September one. Come and see you. Say hello. Uh, Sunflower Lounge in oh, Birmingham. Um, all, all these, all these gigs coming up. Um, the link to catch the Howlers is going to be in the description of this podcast and uh, on YouTube and everything too. So, how much you? How do you prepare for a tour going going ahead? Make sure you've got a big batch of strings you've got your spare guitar yeah. is there anything else that you try and prepare for as well against things that break have spares just just spares, have spares really available yeah. like we take yeah we we take what we call the box of death on tour and it's like <laughs> pedals and leads and just bits of shit you don't think you need until you yeah. need it yeah. Um, uh, and a tape, a soldering iron. Soldering iron is unbelievably important. Mm. Important. Um, you know, the last tour we did, I blew my amp up on stage in Manchester. Next night, arrived at Birmingham, and kind of like had to like take the back off my amp. Um, Gus ran down to the local market in Birmingham, got a soldering iron and some soldering wire, and we were in sound soldering my amp while you know things were going on. So. It's kind of just being expecting all eventualities, but these are things that you learn as you go along. Yeah. Um, and tape's a big one. Fuck, have a fuckload of tape. tape. Like, you know what I mean? Like, because that that comes in handy in all situations. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's mainly like we we just when we rehearse, we kind of like get all the levels right. Um, mark up all our amps and things like that. So you know, when we go in, it's kind of we've got the benchmark. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think I, I kind of think that. You can, you can, there is such thing as rehearsing too much. Mm. So we rehearse, we get tight. We're a tight band anyway, but like if there's a new tune we want to try, we make sure that's like tight and we just make sure the set kind of flows and it's cool, man. But like, yeah, there's, we do this like thing just before we pack for the first day. And it's like, have we got everything? And you double check <laughs> and then you go, no, I've fucking left this behind. Yeah. Um, but there's bound to be something on when you're touring that you're going to need or you run out of at the moment it's picks i can't get picks for love or money oh. picks that i use um is that brexit and i've got a terrible habit <laughs> yeah and i've got a terrible i went into a guitar shop down here the other day to get some walked into a massive warehouse and there's usually a big wall of guitars and all pan- oh, i went what the fuck's happened there like <laughs> you've been popular or something and he he was like no just can't get the orders like oh. And then I went, right, I come for picks anyway. Um, and then there was like no picks. Oh, and I've got like a terrible habit. Mm, um, so like, I might have on my pocket actually. <laughs> like I fray, I like, I fray the ends. So they go like all yeah. like fluffy. So they're not any good. So um, 
yeah, I've got terrible. So I go through picks. Like, no, and like, I kind of put all my picks on top of my amp when we play. And then, uh, yeah, they just fucking go everywhere. Like, <laughs> after the gig, I can't find them. I'll put like 10 on there and I'm like, where have they all gone, man? Like, where did they all go? Um, yeah, there's always something, but yeah. it's kind of like thinking on your feet and being prepared and just, yeah, that's part of the fun, the danger, really. So what can, just to leave people hanging a little bit, what could people expect to see on the live, um, in, well, the Howlers live, or are they not going to expect what's going to happen? They'll expect, they can expect something that they've probably never experienced before in terms of like how we present a show. Like, not in terms of, like, you know, I'm not fucking wheeling flamethrowers and confetti cannons. That's not happening. But, like, it's more the fact that when we play, we create a, a soundscape environment space. It's more like a movie soundtrack than anything else. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's different. Like, we're not, we're not a band that goes and plugs, and plugs in and plays, you know, take away and enjoy something different um and so yeah like we play a lot of songs but um there's a few like stripped back ones there's a few like slower ones and just stuff people enjoy really well guys if if you're listening to this podcast now and you're new to and you've been introduced to the howlers uh take a look in the description of however you're divulging and getting involved with this podcast there's a there's a linkedin a tree link page there where you can buy a ticket for the gigs you can invest in the music and get involved with the band yeah thanks adam hope you enjoyed the chat as, as always i always say that don't i find some new phrases to start using um yeah so yeah thanks adam for joining us down at the podcast uh, opening up and being so honest as well it's you know it's very much appreciated you know um I love these podcasts. (laughs) I just really enjoy doing them. Uh, Yeah, we've been busy since coming back from France. I've already recorded three new interviews that are coming up, ladies and gentlemen, soon on the podcast. So we've got loads in the bag ready to go. I'm not going to share them yet. You know, you can pop onto at RGM pod on Twitter and you'll be the first to find out what's going on. Um, Yeah, thanks for joining us for another week, ladies and gentlemen. What have you got planned for this music week? Tell us about it. If you're off to a gig, tag in RGM Magazine. We'll share your experiences. Uh, if you found a new band, let us know. We'll share your experiences. It's all about finding the next band, in it? The search is always ongoing. So, yeah, thanks, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us for another episode of this podcast. Hope you have a great week. Thanks for sticking with us. If you are one of those new listeners share it with a friend again i think that's what's happened a lot of people have shared that they've enjoyed the podcasts and uh, passed it on through whatsapp groups you know word of mouth and that kind of stuff keep it up mate we love it so yeah i've been carl maloney the host of this podcast really enjoyed spending another week with you and we'll see you again on monday thanks guys Welcome to RGM. Are you in a band? Come and join us. Simply click on the RGM submission page, submit your music, 
and we'll sort the rest. Be a part of it with Scott's Menswear, the go-to destination for sports fashion. With a reputation spanning over 30 years, Scott's has a mega brand catalogue featuring Adidas Originals, Nike, Fred Perry, Pretty Green and many more. Here at RGM, we love the support that they offer us and the music-loving community around us. Check them out at scotsmenswear.com. Hello. Did you know that you can support our podcast in many ways? Within the description of this podcast, you will see a list of all the equipment that we use. These are Amazon affiliate links. Clicking on these links take you to Amazon. If you buy whatever you're planning that week, we get a small kickback and you get a parcel at no extra cost. We would really appreciate your support. Or you can just go old school and donate a pound or whatever you feel is appropriate in there. Please subscribe, tell a friend about our show. And thank you for your support, and we'll see you next week.